0: Greetings, this is Douglas Kimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management and this is Understanding Edge. Joining me today is Yi-Ting Liu. She has been with Diamond Hill since 2014. Prior to joining Diamond Hill, Yi-Ting worked at Keefe, Bruyette and Woods as well as Lehman Brothers. She currently covers international financials for the research team and is a sleeve manager for the Research Opportunities Strategy. Today, yi and I will be discussing different aspects of the transportation industry, specifically airport operations. Not necessarily what you would think about uh, when you think about travel, but something that is very important uh, to the global economy. We're going to discuss uh, different types of airports and how they are managed, how one differentiates from a, a primary or secondary airport, and we'll also discuss two companies uh, that she explores in her industry perspectives piece. We will also discuss the impact of the coronavirus on the travel industry and where some opportunities may be presented during this crisis. Thank you and enjoy. Ting, thank you for joining me once again on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So we'll jump right into it. Uh, Almost as soon as we close the door on phase one of the trade deal and things start to settle down, uh, we have an outbreak of the coronavirus in China, which ramped up through the month of January and continues to basically put the market on its ear. Uh, There's always, you know, the horrible toll on the population that has to be addressed. Uh, But for the purposes of this podcast, uh, we're going to focus on the potential impact to aviation infrastructure. And when people think of the impact on travel, they're thinking about cruise lines or airlines or the very uh, prominent and apparent forms of transportation. But a key component to travel is the infrastructure that makes it all possible. So can you run me through a a high-level overview of the airport operation business globally.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, an airport operator can operate one airport or a portfolio of airport. And since we're based here in Columbus, Ohio, a good example would be um, in town, the Columbus Regional Airport Authority an airport operator, actually oversees operations for three airports here locally. The John Glenn International, which we fly in and out of, we're very familiar with that. Uh, the Rickenbacker International, which is actually a more cargo-focused airport. And lastly, a very small um, airport here in town called Bolton Field that's dedicated to private transport and uh, recreational flying. So, of course, for the podcast today, um, I'm kind of using the term airports, airport Mm -hmm. operators kind of synonymously. Gotcha. And maybe a little background on the industry would be helpful. So uh, once upon a time, airports around the world were all owned and managed by governments or government affiliates as public utilities. Hmm. And then airport privatization began to take place um, in the late 1980s or so. Nowadays, many private operators um, were actually awarded long-term government contracts to operate, maintain, and develop airports in different regions and countries around the world. So today, the top 20 global airport operators manage approximately 400 airports worldwide accounting for majority, more than half, of total annual passenger traffic in 2018. Hmm. Now, I just want to point out that not all airports are alike, right? If you think about it, air travel demand is really a function of economic activity, but economic conditions vary greatly in different parts of the world at different times. Even for airports located in the same country, they can have very different operating dynamics. Some airports are in large cities, others in remote areas, some are big transit hubs, others are touristy destinations. Also, airports' users have different needs. Some passengers are business flyers, others are tourist, right, leisure travelers. Some airports only carry cargo. So long story short, uh, airports around the world are subject to varying economic conditions and regulatory frameworks, depending on their location. They also have different levels of passenger traffic and capacity needs, which all cause divergences in growth and economic profitability of airports around the world. So. Long story short, basically, it's very hard to generalize airport operations globally, hence why company selection within the industry is more important. And lastly, I just want to quickly mention how an airport operator generates revenue. There are mainly two types of services an airport offers. First, um, aviation-related or aeronautical activities, such as aircraft landing, um, parking, boarding bridge rentals, security services, et cetera. The second type is non-aviation related or non-aeronautical activities such as duty-free sales, uh, food and beverage sales, advertising, car parking, car rental, et cetera. So generally speaking, these are the two major sources of revenue for airport or airport operator.
0: So one of the things that you talked about is the differentiation between airports and locations. And um, I've been traveling for business for more than 20 years. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to fly throughout the United States, to Europe, and to Asia as well. And there's, there's definitely that pecking order when it comes to the quality of airports and their amenities. And the example that I always think of is LaGuardia in New York. Uh, you know, it was once referred to as a third world airport. Uh, but it serves one of the most vibrant cities on the planet and is now, thankfully, uh, going through a major renovation, probably 10 to 20 years too late. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, if you've been there recently, it's it's a much different airport than it was before. Mm-hmm. So New York is the rare example of a metropolitan area that has three major airports. You mentioned the airports here in Columbus, and I categorize one as kind of mid-major and the others as very small. Yeah. Uh, New York has three major airports between JFK, LaGuardia, and Newark. So what's the, can you outline the structure of the industry and why the barrier to entry for secondary airports is so high?
1: Yeah. So in order to provide, like, adequate airport services, significant investments are necessary, right? Like runways, terminals, they need to be constructed. Uh, Very few cities, like you mentioned New York being one, but some, very few, Mm -hmm around the world have passenger traffic or cargo volume necessary to justify the construction of multiple airports, right? So as a result, airport operators are geographical, natural monopolies, where they're often the sole provider of airport services for a particular location. And barriers to entry as a result is very high for the industry and most operators are not threatened by new entrants in their respective geographies. And then of course I mentioned earlier private operators nowadays are often awarded the rights to operate maintain and develop aviation infrastructure under long exclusive contracts which typically range from 15 to 50 years. Mm. And given the majority of airports' operating costs are actually fixed, like securities or you know utilities, they can service additional passengers at very low cost. Long-term contracts combined with high operating leverage translate into stable streams of operating cash flow over time, as long as there is sufficient demand for the airports and the services they provide. And um, you know, lastly, I mentioned before. Airports' aviation-related activities like aircraft landing, parking, etc., they're regulated by governments. So operators do not have much discretion over fees charged. However, pricing for non-aviation commercial activities are usually left to the discretion of the operators and merchants. For example, Chinese airport operator Shanghai International Airport Holdings actually recently struck a deal with its vendor in 2018 to collect 42.5 percent of every dollar spent at the shanghai airport's duty-free store for the next seven years and if passenger traffic and duty-free sales disappoint the contract has minimum rent guarantees built in to buffer the downside for the airport operator. So, this is like a win win deal right. for the operator. Uh, arrangements as such uh, illustrate, of course, the airports can capitalize on strong passenger traffic and have greater bargaining power over their commercial tenants. So, essentially, airports are enclosed malls with captive visitors almost entrapped yeah. in a way. <laughs>
0: that's that's how I've always referred to it. Yeah. And that, that flows right into the next question where we talk about, and you've mentioned already, the mix of, of revenue. Uh, when you consider airport management, regulatory enforced and fairly standard fees, as you mentioned, like aircraft landing and parking. And then you have the commercial activities like duty-free sales, different food vendors, vehicle parking. And that's where I think you can see some of that differentiation, which mm-hmm. yep, again, huge. going back to LaGuardia, they're finally catching up. Where yep. the only place you used to be able to eat when you flew American out of LaGuardia, was the pretzel place. And now you have all these different options. Um, And it's, you know, it's similar to what you see in Minneapolis, which is huge. And they almost have a mall in their airport with all these different stores. Uh, And I think it's because it snows so much that you're going to get snowed in. At some point you have stuff to do. Um, So how does the flexibility of airport management companies, how does that allow them to mix in the offerings within the airport in an effort to boost you know, what I'll refer to as that non-regulated revenue.
1: Yeah. So of course, uh, for airports with strong and consistent traffic, it's much easier for the operator to capitalize on that passenger growth, demand better terms with maybe commercial vendors and hence generate higher revenue from these higher margin, unregulated commercial activities. That being said, there are things that operators can do to increase the attractiveness of their airports. For example, operators can collectively collaborate with uh, airlines for routes development Mm -hmm. to diversify and expand their existing traffic, maybe working on or developing new international routes. Right. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, international passengers, especially those who travel for leisure, they tend to spore, spend more time and money at airports, buying duty-free goods or buying gifts and, for their friends and families. Back you got
0: to bring home. something home when you're on the road. Exactly.
1: So um, having a higher percentage of international passengers within the traffic mix is definitely a good thing for operators, both in terms of traffic diversification and also in terms of profitability. Besides working with airlines, operators can also engage with other stakeholders, such as local tourism board or hotel operators, to collectively market a destination to stimulate traffic. Another aspect that is very important is actually operational efficiency and quality of services offered at airports, right? Mm -hmm. Operators want to optimize passenger flow through airports, basically getting passengers through the basic services like, um, you know, check-in, airline check-in, back check, immigration, security check, all these things in the shortest amount of time possible. So that passengers just have more time to shop, eat, Mm -hmm. drink, et cetera. So in order to do that, operators need to reduce processing and waiting time, maximize space available for these commercial activities, And at the same time, make it accessible, convenient and comfortable for all passengers. So, for example, Hong Kong International Airport, Mm -hmm. yes, um, offers a huge selection of dining experiences ranging from low end to high end, even including Michelin star restaurants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when I used to work and live in Hong Kong, I traveled through the airport a lot. I would literally go to the airport like an hour ahead of my flight just to dine there. And trust me, it's actually a very pleasant experience. You don't want to do that at Columbus. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to do that at many places. But Hong Kong International Airport for Dining, it's extremely pleasant. And of course, there are some other airports around the world. They're noticing the increased demand in passengers traveling with their pets. So they're offering... Um, pet relief areas or pet parks or grooming services, you know. These are basically all examples that airports around the world trying to provide convenience and comfort to improve passenger experience, which all boost airports higher margin commercial revenue.
0: So let's take what we've talked about so far and we'll start applying and we'll look at a couple different companies that you uh, addressed in your industry perspective. So You use Southeast Airport Group, uh, not to be confused with Southwest Airlines, uh, as an example of a well-diversified firm with a strong lock on the markets in which they operate. So tell us about your thesis uh, around this company.
1: Yeah, sure. So Southeast Airport (laughs) Group, its operations are actually very well diversified across 16 airports in Mexico, Puerto Rico, and Colombia even including Latin America's fourth busiest airport, Cancun International. Now, Mexico accounts for the majority of this company's revenue and profitability, demonstrating consistent growth of 6% compounded annual growth rate in passenger traffic over the last 30 years. That's a long time, that's Mm -hmm. three decades. So, the company enjoys monopolistic conditions in southeastern Mexico, hence why it's called Southeast Airport Group. Gotcha. And its operation agreement with the Mexican government is valid until 2048. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a long time in the mm-hmm. future. Um, air travel in Mexico. Is actually experiencing secular growth due to a larger working age population, higher income per capita, and expansion of the middle class. Additionally, low cost and ultra low cost air carriers will continue to lower flyers via cheap fares and unlock additional air travel demand as Mexicans migrate from bus to air travel, especially for greater safety and convenience on very long-haul trips. Now, Southeast Airport Group has a very attractive revenue mix between what we talked about earlier, Mm -hmm. the regulated and unregulated activities, little financial leverage, strong free cash flow generation, and a diversified airport portfolio. Last but not least, the company has a tenured management team that has been in place for almost a decade. Now, in late 2018, the newly elected Mexican president actually canceled the construction of a new $13 USD airport in Mexico City that was already a third complete Hmm. or built. Um, And this has led to a significant market sell-off in all regulated businesses and shook investor confidence in Mexico. The Southeast Airport Group company share fell meaningfully to an attractive level allowing us to initiate a position. Subsequently in 2019 we added to the position when passenger traffic to Cancun disappointed following the infestation of a seaweed problem across the Caribbean. We believe these events, which were completely out of management's control and did not change our long-term thesis, served as great buying opportunities for patient and long-term investors like us.
0: Which is something, yeah, that we always talk about is how we're always looking at the longer term and yes. that, that allows us to take advantage of some of these shorter-term dislocations that are essentially noise mm-hmm. uh, around the longer, longer picture. Yep. Another example in your paper is Bangalore International Airport Limited, or B-I-A-L, which is an investment of Fairfax India. It's an indirect investment for us as B-I-A-L is partially owned by Fairfax India and we are investors in that company, not B-I-A-L. India continues to grow and with that growth should come an increase in air travel. What is our thesis on owning Fairfax India? Is it solely to gain exposure to B-I-A-L? or is there a broader thesis around the entire company?
1: Yeah, sure. So Fairfax India is actually a very uh, unique and interesting situation and also a company for us in that it allows us to gain exposure to private investments in India that wouldn't be available to us as public equity investors, Mm -hmm. right? And just a bit of background, Fairfax India is a India-focused investment vehicle. The company invests in a very small number of businesses, very good businesses, with strong management teams, both public and private, in a number of sectors. Aviation infrastructure, like BIAO, asset and wealth management, specialty chemical sectors, etc. So they invest in a manner very similar to private equity firms, but with no set lifespan or redemption schedule. Fairfax India is backed by a large insurer and pension funds and allowing the vehicle to enjoy ongoing access to permanent capital while at the same time providing daily liquidity through its listing on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So that's really our kind of investment thesis in Fairfax India. Now, the largest investment also happened to be the crown jewel in Fairfax, India is B.I.A.L., which is Bangalore International Airport. And just really quickly on the merits of why we really like, you know, both Fairfax, India, but also uh, B.I.A.L. is because India is expected to become the world's third largest civil aviation market by 2025 behind Mm. only the U.S. and China. BIAL, which is located in India's third largest city and also tech capital, their Silicon Valley, um, has experienced massive growth over the last decade and was ranked the world's fastest-growing airport mm. in 2018. Of course, the because the growth, the airport is capacity constrained and it's undergoing a two billion USD expansion to be complete next year. That will triple the amount of capacity at the airport, right? Mm. And then lastly, the uh, operational agreement with the Indian government lasts until 2034 and is potentially extendable by another 30 years. So, right? And um, remember we talked about kind of the higher margin non-aviation commercial activities, Mm -hmm. right? That has been growing at an annual growth rate of 17% for the last decade. Wow. For, for B-I-A-L. And this growth is expected to continue with increased passenger traffic, the additional space available due to the airport expansion, and then increasing propensity of passengers to spend more money at airports, right? Mm-hmm. And lastly, the firm owns development rights of about 450 acre next to the airport that could be utilized for real estate development. And then Bangalore, the city, is also expanding rapidly in the direction of the airport, which makes the potential monetization of the airport expansion and commercial options associated with adjacent properties even more valuable longer term.
0: With what you're, the way you've explained it and the way I am understanding it, is that B.I.A.L. will run the airport until 2034 with the option to expand another 30 years. Yes. Theoretically, what were to happen if in 2034 the government of India says, no thanks, we don't want you running our airport anymore? What happens to that, the, the facility, yeah. the, the airport? Yeah. I mean, is that then turned over to someone else?
1: Exactly. So okay. basically at the end of 2034, um, Should the government and the operator decide, you know what, this is a mutual agreement, we don't want to do it anymore, goodbye, Mm. then the government most likely will be kind of conducting a tendering process for other operators, could be locally, other Indian ones, or internationally, other operators to come in and for the right to operate, develop, maintain the airport for the next X number of years.
0: Now, does that happen very often?
1: it does happen but it, again it happens so the last time it happened in mexico was mm-hmm. 1998 okay and the concession agreement is good for 50 years okay. so it won't happen again for until 1940 or actually 2048, 2048. yes exactly <laughs> I have to do quick math yes and then so it usually comes up anywhere between 15 to 50 years. Okay,
0: yeah. okay, so that makes it a little bit more consistent. Yeah,
1: unless something major happens, right? With any kind of contractual agreement, you know, if, if there's something major happens, you can always tweak it, you know, make changes to yeah. it. But per contract, it's not supposed to come up until the end of the contract.
0: But if there's fraud or something, Exactly, you can get something out of it major, and, right? Okay. Or
1: maybe the destination or the asset where the, uh, 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 the, the airport is located, um, maybe there's some sort of a permanent Damage to the location, like even natural disasters, mm-hmm. usually are temporary. Right, you will eventually right. recover from that. But let's just say something permanent that completely wipes off the um, the location or the asset.
0: So the the airport then. at Chernobyl.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: No one ever wants to go back there. Exactly. Okay, mm-hmm. makes sense. Okay, thank you. Um, so we open the podcast by talking about the potential impact of the coronavirus on air travel and aviation infrastructure. Uh, Many investors are considering the impact of the travel industry, but we're seeing a potential opportunity to increase exposure and infrastructure due to short-term dislocation. Again, as we talked about earlier, we're focused on longer-term performance. Um, How closely are you watching the updates on the coronavirus, and how fluid uh, is your thesis on these opportunities?
1: Yeah, so first of all, I get bombarded with information (laughs) on coronavirus in both English and Chinese. Um, in terms of daily progression of the outbreak, potential economic fallout, you know, even speed of potential recovery for both China and the rest of the world. So, uh, of course, some information are from official sources, other from social media, some seem to be credible, others are just probably misinformation or speculation. Honestly, I believe that my time is probably better utilized by analyzing companies in aviation infrastructure and trying to identify the highest quality airport operators globally, based on some of the metrics I mentioned before, mm-hmm. like regulatory favorable regulatory environments, secular traffic growth, attractive revenue mix, etc. Now, if shares of these companies that I've identified as high quality ever trade at a meaningful discount to my estimate of intrinsic value, I do think it presents a very attractive opportunity for us in spite of the coronavirus outbreak. And, you know, just look at our current holdings, right? Southeast Airport Group, BIAL, they operate under monopolistic conditions with contractual agreements already in place. They have very long growth runways over the next 10 to 20 years in India and Latin America. Right? And the Southeast Airport Group in particular has endured, survived, and rebounded time after time uh, from what I consider or call short-term macro shocks, such as hurricane mm-hmm. in Mexico and Puerto Rico in 2005, 2017, even global health outbreak like H1N1 mm-hmm. in 2009. Right What I'm trying to say is, of course, these external shocks, natural disasters, terrorist attacks, coronavirus, health, you know, global health risks, they will for sure cause short-term disruptions to airports passenger traffic, um, revenue growth and profitability. And it does take some time for operations to recover. But that's exactly where I think our edge lies because we're focused on the prospect of these airports and operators for the next 10 to 20 years. Right. Yep.
0: So before we wrap up, I ask everybody, I've been asking everybody the same kind of question. Um, part of the, the purpose of these podcasts is to get to know the people at the firm. Yeah. Um, so the people at the other end of this microphone uh, can learn a little bit more about us as people. So why not, if you would, um, without revealing any deep, dark secrets, tell me something about yourself, uh, that people may not know something a little bit unique, maybe funny, uh, that you would like to share, or you would want people to know about you.
1: So I was actually hospitalized, uh, with like a 105, 106 fever, swollen, uh, lymph nodes and glands and, uh, extremely low white blood counts. Right. So, um, it was kind of, frustrating because, you know, at the beginning, they didn't know what I had, right? So, you know, basically a 19-year-old lying there with a bright future except you're yeah. sick and nothing you can do about it. And then finally, after like a month or so of hospitalization, my rare kind of lymphoma-like illness was finally given a name. <laughs> um, it's called Cuckoo Disease,
0: right?
1: <laughs> yes. It's uh, But sadly, there's no effective or available treatment. It's, there's not even enough data on it um, to um, to say anything conclusive on it because it's so rare. Really? Yes. Um, so, of course, I was extremely lucky because while I had a very rare illness, it was not deadly. Yeah. Right. So in that sense, I was extremely lucky. And in fact, it was kind of self-healing because I eventually recovered. Um, you know, basically what I'm trying to say is, in the face of very rare illnesses or disease, mm-hmm. um, my personal experience is, is, extremely frustrating and can actually be you can you can feel somewhat powerless, yeah. right? Um, but for hence why every day since then, for those of us who are living and healthy today, I reminding myself to appreciate a sick free day every day. Wow!
0: Very yes. good. Yes. Well, thank you so much thank for joining so much. me. I appreciate it. Yes. Uh, and we'll talk to you again soon sometime. Thank you. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital mm-hmm. Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Mm-hmm. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.